This afternoon, we are focusing on Lord's Day 1 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And our focus will especially be on question and answer 1. Lord's Day 1, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. What you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort, first, how great my sins and misery are, second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery, and third, how I am to be thankful to God for such deliverance. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the world today, there are 195 countries. Within all those countries, you will find many different cultures, races, and languages. However, one thing everyone on earth has in common is that we all have the same human heart. And because we all have the same human heart, we all have similar desires. We all have similar longings. The longing to be loved. The longing to have peace and security. The longing to experience friendship and fellowship. To have a home and a hope for the future. To have good health. And the longing simply to be happy and to experience much joy. However, the sad reality is that many of those longings can be out of our grasp. This life can be filled with so much disappointment. We might hope for fulfillment in a new job. We find only struggle. We might hope for, for a relationship we find more loneliness. We might hope for good health, but instead we get more sickness. We might hope for something so badly, but at the end of the day, it always seems to be out of our reach. And on top of that, even if we do get the desires of our heart, some trouble might come, and take our joy away, our happiness away. Or even if it doesn't take it away completely, that trouble can easily take away some of the happiness that we had hoped for. We all experience disappointment in this life in one way or another. And that's the reality of living in this broken world. 
Now, I know that's probably not the nicest way to start a sermon, but in contrast to that reality, we have Lord's Day 1, which we have confessed this afternoon. Here we confess, I am not my own, but belong with body and in soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That confession is the good news of the gospel. And no matter how much disappointment, no matter how many unfulfilled desires we might have in life, all of us here who who look to Jesus Christ in faith can make this confession of faith, this beautiful confession of faith. What exactly is the comfort expressed here? Well, it's not the comfort of a lazy boy and a pair of slippers. It's not the comfort that comes from sipping some hot chocolate on a cold winter's day, although that's pretty cozy. It's not physical comfort at all. It's a comfort in this sense. That even though I have all these disappointments on one side of the scale of my life, yet I have this giant counterweight on the other side. I belong to Christ. And no matter how many disappointments might be thrown on one side of the scale, yet I always have Christ with me. And that will never be taken away. It's a comfort in this sense that even though I might have sadness and suffering upon my shoulders and I feel that every day and yet despite all those things that are weighing me down I belong to Jesus Christ and so I am not crushed in fact I have life it's a comfort that confesses that in this life of suffering all things work for my good. It's a comfort that confesses that not one hair can fall from my head apart from the will of my Heavenly Father. And it's a comfort that even though I am a great sinner, I have the perfect Savior. And this comfort from Christ is different than any other comforts we might find in this life. All other comforts will fail us at some point, but this one will not. Now, we might wonder about that. There are so many things in this life that can disappoint us. Who's to say that this comfort of the gospel will not disappoint us as well in the end? That's something we need to know. Why is our hope so sure? Well, it's because it's founded upon the triune God. That's why. Look at Lord's Day 1 again. Here in Lord's Day 1, you see references to each person of the Trinity. The Son has bought us with his precious blood. He preserves us by the will of God our Father. And he assures me of eternal life by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a triune confession of faith. Our comfort in life rests upon the triune God, our Savior. 
And that's why this gospel comfort will not disappoint us. See, all other comforts that we might find apart from God, they will fail eventually. God is dependable and sure. And so our comfort in this God is also dependable and sure. Think about who God is. He is infinitely powerful. He is self-sustaining from eternity past to eternity future. God always exists. He created the world simply by speaking the word. And he sustains all creation, everything in this room and everything in this world, everything in this universe, by his power. And he has the power to raise the dead. There's no one more powerful than he is. He is all-knowing and all-seeing. And he works all things in this world according to the purpose of his will. And nothing ever catches him off guard. There's nothing and no one that can attack him or stop him. Because that is true, nothing can prevent God from fulfilling these promises of the gospel in our lives, no matter what. No matter what you might face. And yet, perhaps you still might have your doubts. Yes, God is powerful, but powerful things can still hurt. How can I be certain that God is for me? What if he uses his power against me? And here is where we turn to our Lord Jesus Christ. Our confession of faith, what is my only comfort in life and death, is based upon this reality. The Son of God has bought us with his blood. Christ Jesus, he suffered and died. He bled to give complete forgiveness of all our sins. We must know that. Believe that. You see, if Christ's sacrifice was so pleasing to God that Jesus could say to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, then that sacrifice is good enough to give us entry into paradise also. If Christ's sacrifice was so pleasing to the Father that when Christ died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then that sacrifice is good enough to give us access to God as well. If Christ's sacrifice was so pleasing to God the Father that all the sins of Jacob and David and Rahab and Samson were wiped out in an instant then that sacrifice is good enough to pay for your sins too. And that changes everything. The power of Christ's sacrifice has not only purchased for us the forgiveness of sins, but every blessing of salvation. Lord's Day 1 is a reality because of Christ. Do you know what that sacrifice has done for us? 
It has turned God from being against us to being for us. For us who believe, God is always for us. His face is now turned towards us in blessing through Jesus Christ. And that is good news. Think again of the power of God in light of Christ's sacrifice. In Christ, the unlimited, infinite power of God is joined in unshakable love for us who believe. Because that is true, no one can snatch us out of his hand. Because that is true, all things must work together for my salvation. If God were not all-powerful, then perhaps someone could ruin this gospel comfort. And if God's love were not completely turned towards us in Christ, then something could ruin this gospel comfort. But remember, in Christ, the unlimited, the infinite power of God is joined together in unshakable love for us who believe. So you can know the comfort of the gospel will not disappoint. In this life, we face many disappointments. Maybe you face that right now. But we have sure hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Takes us to our second point. Now, in this life, we live side by side with people who did not believe in Jesus Christ. And on the outside, there might not be many differences between us and them. We might do similar jobs. We might enjoy similar activities, similar hobbies, similar things we like to do. And we all experience much of the same suffering in life, something like sickness, However, for us who believe in Christ, all of life has been transformed by Christ. Consider for one moment the Spirit-inspired words of Paul in Philippians 1. He says in verse 21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, you might think it would be more natural to confess, to, to die is Christ, and to live is gain. But that's not what he says. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, I want to focus in on those words, to live is Christ, in the third point. But here in our second point, I want to focus on those words, to die is gain. Think about that. Think about those words. To die is gain. Now, those are some of the most stunning words ever spoken. Who says this? Who in this world makes this confession? People in this world do not think that to die is gain. They think death is the end of the game. Death ends the party. Death ends any shred of happiness that we might have in life. Death puts an end to any hope we might have had. To people who do not know Jesus Christ, 
Death is loss. It is not gain. But for us who believe, we can confess with Paul that death is gain. Can you imagine that? And it's gain because we get to be with our Lord who bought us, our great God. Paul says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. It's better by far to be with Christ, to be with our triune God, than staying here on this earth in this life of sorrow. And that's true no matter how much joy and how much happiness you might experience in the here and now. None of that can compare with being with our Lord in heaven. And so death is gain. Think about how astonishing this is. Death was God's very punishment upon humans for sin. God told Adam, if you eat from that tree, the punishment will be death. Adam ate from that tree and he died. But the the power of Christ's sacrifice is of such an effect that for the believer, God's very punishment upon sin has been turned into something that benefits us. Isn't that amazing? To see what Christ has done for you. And if Christ's sacrifice is of such effect that death itself is now transformed into into something that is gain, then surely it's powerful enough to transform all the other suffering in life for our good as well. There's so many things connected to death in this world, isn't there? Sickness, pain, disease, suffering. They all have the smell of death to them. And death is like the culmination of those things. Things like sickness and suffering and pain. Death is like the culmination of those things. But if death itself has been turned into gain, then surely things attached to death, things like sickness and pain, cannot take away our comfort. God works all these things too for our salvation. This is what Paul confesses in Philippians 1. He was in prison, but he confesses, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Then in verse 19, through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And verse 20, whether by life or by death, Christ will be honored in my body. He even says about all believers in verse 29, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Even that suffering we endure specifically for being Christians is something granted to us through Christ. It can't take away our comfort. Any other comfort in life can be taken away by suffering, by sickness, and surely those comforts will fail at death. The comfort of the gospel endures through it all. Now, to be sure, death is still an enemy. Death is painful for those who stay behind. 
But we can say with Paul, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And so we can endure the suffering of this world. We can endure in Christ. Now this is, of course, the good news. But can we still be so confident? We might wonder if this confession and confidence is only for someone like Paul. After all, he seems so zealous for the Lord. He'd done great things for the building of the church. Well, I haven't done anything like that, maybe. Why did Paul get to depart and be with Christ? Was it because he was a super-Christian? Was it because he did such amazing things? No, he confessed he was the foremost of sinners. He says in 1 Timothy 1, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Why could Paul make this confession to die as gain? It's because he looked to Christ in faith for the forgiveness of his sins. It's not because he was so good, but because God was so gracious in Christ. So again, that gospel hope will not disappoint us who believe. Takes us to our last point. Now, that good news does not end there. Christ does not only give us entrance into eternal life, but he also changes us. And actually, that is part of the good news. God does not leave his children in their wicked ways. He he works in their lives and their hearts to change them, and that's good. He also sanctifies us, makes us more holy. That's part of the good news. In Lord's Day 1, we confess that Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, not only assures me of eternal life, but makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. The gospel changes us who believe. It changed someone like Paul. He was once a blasphemer. Now he worked for the glory of Christ. Now, how does the Holy Spirit change us? By the gospel. Well, he changes us in many ways, but I want to focus on one way in this last point. Consider again those words, to die is gain. That's one way Christ changes us. Think of how incredibly freeing those words are, that confession is, to die is gain. Because death is now gain, we are free to serve God and serve Christ in this life. Because death has become gain, we can be changed from people who used to live only for themselves to people who lovingly live for Christ from now on. Eternal life has been bought for you by Jesus Christ. And now you are freed to let go of this temporary life, to spend this temporary brief life on the Lord Jesus Christ and others. 
You have nothing to lose. You have eternal, never-ending joy with Christ coming. And so this life, which is so short, can be lived for Christ. It can be lived for God. And this is what captured Paul's heart. This is why he did all these things. Not to gain eternal life, but because he had it in Christ. To die as gain, and so he could live like Christ in imprisonments, in beatings, in suffering for the gospel. It didn't matter. Christ owned him. And no one could take that away. What happens when we take away the truth that death is gain for the believer? Well, we would view death as the end of all things. And so we would need to squeeze every last ounce of fun out of this life for ourselves before we die. We would need to hold on to our lives as much as possible because soon my life is over. And then what? But Christ has transformed all things. Live for Him, beloved. Serve God. And this is especially true because of the pers- preserving work of Christ. Will this gospel let us down? No. I want to finish off by looking at those words from Lord's Day 1. Christ preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He assures me of eternal life. Christ not only bought us, but He preserves us. We can hear something of that in Philippians 1, verse 6. Paul writes to the church saying, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is the one who started this work of salvation in us. And we can look to him, have confidence in him, that he will carry it out to the end. God will finish what he started. And this is the encouragement we need as we go through struggles in life. What causes many people to resist God, isn't it? Isn't it the suffering present in this world? And for us who do believe, it's in those moments of suffering that our faith is, is really tested. Maybe you're going through a deep trial right now. Maybe you're going through a period of prolonged suffering. And sometimes we might wonder, can I continue on in the Christian life? Will my faith fail? Well, it would fail if it were up to us. We would fail in our own strength. But it was not us who began this life of faith. Remember verse 29, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should believe in Him. Granted to you by God. He began this good work in you. Look to Him to carry it out to the day of its completion. 
So if you're going through great trials, wondering how you will ever persevere, keep your eyes on your God. He's greater than every trial you might face. You can look ahead with confidence. God will not let you go. He who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing hymn 64.